0: Transition to time in the Word now. Uh, We believe here at Anchor that the Bible is authoritative. Uh, We believe every Sunday that you come, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, that you will get a word from God, that you can receive encouragement. Um, I don't know about you, I, I sense there's a lot of narratives that get pushed. How many people are telling you what to do, what to believe? what to think. We have a world with infinite amount of noise and what we need to do is to actually open our ears to our Heavenly Father who knows us, who loves us, who sees us, who created us and to get a word from Him today. And I'm telling you, once you know that God has spoken to you, you just live differently. I don't know if you guys have had Sundays or time in the Word midweek. You just get a conviction, a word from God and you get something that unlocks something in your life. So I'm hoping that today will be that day for you. As I mentioned, we're in the middle of rise and fall of Kings 1 and 2 Samuel. I've been loving it. Just personally being in this book has been really informing my, not just ministry, but my fathering. Seeing all these priests, seeing all these kings that seemingly do what God wants and seemingly have his characters, and yet their kids stop following Jesus. You know, that's just been a sideline thing as I've been reading that. Even Samuel, His kids stop following Jesus. And we see all these priests, they have these gifts and they bless the church, God's people, and yet their kids are neglected and they walk away from their faith. So I've just been loving this series. Context is everything in the Bible. We can can take out a text and we can spin it for our own means. Um, So those of you who are coming in, we're actually at week four. We're going to be spending time in 1 Samuel 13 to 15. And I wanted to give you guys a recap for where we're at. I, se- I thought instead of hearing my voice, we're going to hear from the master, Tim Mackey, Bible Project. If you don't know what the Bible Project is, just YouTube it, clear eight hours, and just you'll understand the Bible. So turn your attention to the screen. We're going to get a little bit of a recap of where we're at in 1 Samuel. Had warned the people that they would only benefit from a king who's humble and faithful to God. Otherwise the kings of Israel will bring ruin. So he informs Saul that God is going to raise up a new king to replace him. And so Saul's downfall begins. So we meet Saul today. Israel's first king. And this is, this is a key moment. This is a big shift in Israel's history. Uh, today isn't going to be a typical verse-by-verse verse kind of expository sermon. We're not going to be covering every chapter. And it's not going to be a topical, thematic one. We're actually just going to do a character study on Saul. We're going to have plenty of Bible. But next week, sorry, next week's dedication is the next sermon the following week is David versus Goliath. And then David becomes the main character. So today is the... The only Sunday we get to zoom in on Saul, and we're just going to glean as we look at especially the first part of his reign, what, what is there to learn? What can we learn about his life, uh, his mistakes, and what is there to glean? Uh, those of you uh, that know Saul and are familiar with the text, there's um, there's a lot in it. So can I encourage you to read the rest of 1 Samuel if today doesn't feel sufficient? There's a lot of beauty and tragedy and nuance with Saul's life. Uh, Don't confuse Saul with the New Testament Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul and writes the whole New Testament. I did get confused about that in my early days of going to church. There are two Saul's. This is King Saul. So who is Saul? I'm a big Breaking Bad fan. If you don't know Breaking Bad, it's a masterpiece. I didn't. I didn't want to speak too much into <laughs> into Saul, but I actually think as I as I read through one Samuel, Saul is a very tragic figure, similar to Breaking Bad. In Breaking Bad, there's this man that he starts making drugs to pay for his family, and his he's dying of lung cancer, and he's this tragic figure. And Saul has a similar arc where he starts off noble and his life becomes more and more tragic, more and more broken. And there's a lot of similarities. Anyway, no more breaking bad jokes. This isn't about Saul. So let's, let's look at Saul in the Old Testament. Saul's story begins quite humbly and ordinarily. He was born into a well-respected family. One thing that the Bible really emphasizes is that Saul's good-looking. They keep repeating, Saul's good-looking. His head and shoulders above the rest of the church. So picture Nick France, just head and shoulders above the church. So he's tall. He was a farmer who tended to animals. He worked the land. Um, you know, most other men did the same. So I'm picturing someone, you know, strong, muscular, thick hands, calluses on his hands. Um, and God, in his providence, orchestrates a meeting between Saul and the prophet Samuel. And Samuel honors him and anoints him king of Israel. And I think Saul, in many ways, is everything you'd want for a king. As I mentioned, there's presence to him. He's a great military leader. Uh, All indications, he's actually a good dad, unlike a lot of the men in 1 Samuel. And he starts off pretty well, wins some victories. Uh, But as we read along, there's a bit of a decay and a decline. We see quite quickly that Saul is deeply flawed. Uh, The entire first half of 1 Samuel is dedicated to a a study of his failures. And when reading Samuel, you have this tendency, I think, to become critical and judgmental of Saul. I think particularly as a contrast to David, that's to come. But I think we need to slow down and be honest with ourselves as we look at someone who has a flawed character and you realize that we often have more in common than we care to admit with a character like Saul. And I think the whole point of exploring someone someone like Saul and his failures is to actually warn us to not repeat his mistakes, particularly chapters ten to fifteen, offers up offers up a number of episodes, some seemingly small, some seemingly big, of Saul's missteps. Uh, you might wonder if God's being overly hard on Saul, uh, as as we read this, um, is this just an intentional creation of sympathy by the narrator? But I actually think not only do we want to empathize with Saul, but again, let it be a mirror up to us. Um, but unfortunately for Saul, as he progresses, the mistakes get bigger, the stakes get higher, and he continues to fall short of the expectations of a king. Some highlights from 1 Samuel 10 to 13. Saul, when he, when he first discovers that he's going to be a king, he meets Samuel, and Samuel prophesies over him that he's going to anoint him and become king. Um, he actually didn't want to be, uh, but God changes his heart in 1 Samuel ten nine, and the Holy Spirit comes on him powerfully, and then he prophesies straight away in a moment. So it's this magical change. It's actually God that changes his heart to become king. Uh, you see this story in 1 Samuel 10, as everyone's coming together uh, to celebrate this king for this big announcement, uh, to anoint him. <clears throat> we look around for a young Saul, and he's nowhere. So he's actually hiding. They want to have this big coronation, all the, TV, all the TV cameras are on him and he's hiding. It actually says that he's hiding in the baggage, you know, beneath all the bags that they were looking for this king. Uh, you fast forward, Samuel's reaffirmed as king of Israel in chapter 11 and chapter 12 is Samuel's final sermon to Israel as he's quite old, exhorting them to obey God and to keep with the God that's delivered them and turn away from the idols of the neighboring nations and trust in the true God. And we get to 1 Samuel 13, and this is when things get a bit more heated. Stakes are higher for King Saul. And 1 Samuel 13 starts by saying Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel for 42 years. So I just want to get that age right. So th- this is, we're covering a big span, and I think 1 Samuel is just going to zoom in on really key moments. So 30 years old, and he reigned over Israel for fir- 42 years. As we set the scene here at 1 Samuel 13, Israel has attacked a Philistine outpost. Uh, So Philistines have taken some land. Philistines are a long-time adversary of Israel and more to come. So Israel have attacked a Philistine outpost. So picture a small outpost. There's some Philistine armies there, and they've attacked them, tried to take that. And as that's happened, the Israelites are overwhelmed, and the Philistines have a much bigger army than the Israelites. So the Israelites call The rest of the Israelite army to come help them, so they've attacked the outpost, thinking they're going to claim it back, and it hasn't gone well. And as Samuel gathers the army there, sorry, as Saul gathers the army there, he's stressed. He's stressed. Um, The people grew restless and began to leave. So imagine Saul ready to ready ready for battle. And the Philistine army, which is much bigger, much more dominant, much better weapons, Saul is stressed and feeling extreme pressure. Saul, instead of praying, instead of crying out to God who has delivered multiple times, he actually does something to, as the Bible says, to seek the approval from his soldiers. And he disobeys the Lord and takes Samuel's place at the altar and this is very interesting this is samuel coming back after saul has taken his place at the altar samuel saying you have done a foolish thing you have not kept the command the lord your god gave you had he would have established your kingdom over israel for all time but now your kingdom will not endure the lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the commands of the Lord. So I want to slow down here. This is quite a big episode for Saul. This is quite a big mistake. He's actually gone against Levitical law. He knows that Samuel, only a priest, is allowed to make a sacrifice. And Saul has done it. Saul's made this sacrifice to kind of get confidence in his soldiers, kind of get them rev up, maybe get some dramatic thing from the Lord. And Samuel's come, he's seen this, and he's actually um, rebuked it. And later on, you see here, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. So we see echoes here of David that we're going to meet in a few chapters. And I think what is again noted in this account is that God immediately in the same verse declares that the kingdom will be given to one seeking the approval of his own heart. This is what God's looking for. He's looking for a king that actually reflects his own heart. And this is the first time we're seeing in Saul that he's someone that doesn't have a heart after God. This is quite a challenging moment for Saul. This is the first time we start to see the cracks in Saul's character. We start to see cracks in his faith and his his trust and dependence on God. And I think one thing we start to see here with Saul is that there's a tendency that Saul has to seek the approval of man versus seeking the approval of god so as he's seeking the approval wanting to make sure the soldiers who are walking away losing confidence in his leadership losing confidence that they're going to win the battle saul does something that he knows he's not meant to do that will violate god's law to make sure they're pleased are staying with him are going to actually continue to follow his leadership and he will do that in spite of approving of god we fast forward to chapter 15 he actually wins that battle. He wins a few battles because he because God actually, in his grace and mercy, delivers them. So he's reclaiming Israel's land from enemies and things seem to stabilize. And God gives Saul another chance. This is what God does. We have a God that just gives chance after chance after chance. As you read the Old Testament, it's just God giving second chance and second chance to his people and to his kings. But then we come into 1 Samuel 15. <laughs> And things start to really fall apart for Saul. One thing we see, which is always a bad sign, Saul is building a monument for himself. So he starts building a statue. Um, and Samuel's like, Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're starting to build statues for yourself after you win a couple of battles. Um, and again, I think what we're seeing here is that Saul is looking after his own kingdom, his own reputation, his own stature. And in 1 Samuel 15, I actually think we get a a big insight into his character, and we're going to stay here for the next few moments. 1 Samuel 15, God commands Saul to go out and fight the Amalekites. This is a nation that tried to wipe the Israelites, Israelites out a long time ago, and they just escaped from Egypt, and he was given clear instruction to defeat the Amalekites, who are an enemy. However, Saul stopped short and allowed the soldiers to plunder the spoil, even though he was explicitly told not to let this happen. And Samuel confronts Saul, and Saul somewhat confesses, but we start to see him starting to have a spin on his reasons. So Amalekites have been defeated, and Saul is explicitly told not to take any plunder for himself and for the soldiers, and Saul is trying to justify his actions to Samuel here. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, God, but we totally destroyed the rest. What's Saul doing here? Take a moment. What, what, what's Saul doing here? What kind of spin is he putting on? And if you guys have ever been caught in a lie, when you get caught in a lie, what are you trying to do? You're trying to, to save face. You put a spin on it. So he puts a spin here quite deceptively saying, They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to what? To sacrifice to the Lord your God. So he starts to spin it. He has told the soldiers that they can take this plunder, take some meat for yourself, but instead he spins it and starts to say, no, they actually did it for God. They start to do it for a sacrifice. He starts to justify his stubbornness as a form of obedience. And it's quite dark as we see this in a king. He starts to use God as a reason for his disobedience. And Samuel then calls Saul to account. He me, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And as Saul is confronted here, we, we get a little bit of repentance, but I think as we'll see later, it's not actually full repentance. Continuing here in 15, 21, 22. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. Again, trying to put spin on it, lying to Samuel's face, saying, no, they did this for sacrifice sake, not for themselves. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? And here is a profound text in the Bible. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. And so we see here some more blame shifting from Saul. And again, I think I want to slow down here. We see here is that Saul, he's actually, he's not a man after God's heart. He doesn't understand what God's heart wants. He thinks it's all about sacrifice and winning battles, but there is a lack of obedience. You see that to obey is better than to sacrifice. And then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Let's give Saul a break. I think there's some, there's some repentance here. There's some genuine acknowledgement. He said, I've sinned. There's repentance. There's an apology. And I violated the Lord's command. So there's some self-awareness here. But I actually, I actually think as we continue on the narrative, we see what is true repentance. Actually, a change of behavior. There's actually a transformation. Repentance, the word metanoia in the Bible actually means transform, to be new, to turn around to start something new. And I think we see here, which is a profound part of Saul's character, second half there, I was afraid of the men. So again, we see this fear. What we fear, what we fear is what will follow. What we fear is what will serve. And there is again another thread here of Saul, more afraid of the men and what they would think of him, what his soldiers would think of him. And again, Saul's slippery. It's hard to gauge whether this repentance is genuine. But we see later on in this same speech, Saul replied, I've sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. This is what Saul's primary motive in leadership is. It's saving face. It's saving face. Again, even though he's made the mistake and is is repentance, but he's saying, can you please still honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel? He still wants a ceremony. He still wants him to be lifted up and honored before the Lord. And again, we see the mistakes here of someone that pursues status over pursuing God. And often they're in conflict. Those of you guys that are in leadership, making tough decisions. Those of you guys are in spiritual leadership, it is so, so easy. It is so easy to make decisions that will just make everyone happy. It's the easiest thing ever. We just, we, we do a poll, whatever's the majority, we'll do things that make us happy. But often, as we see in scripture, and often the call, the heavy burden of spiritual leadership, and those of you that might be parents, is doing things that might disapprove people, and the people you're leading, but it actually approves God. So this is Saul's life and Saul's decisions is just a good reminder for us to seek the approval of God above men. And then this is the final verse we're looking at. So Hollywood. As Samuel turned to leave, they've just had this big debate, a lot of anger, a lot of emotions. Samuel turns to leave. Saul catches hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. So we've got some clothes ripping here. There's a lot of emotion, and Samuel says to him, "The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and it has been given to the one of your neighbours, to one better than you." And again, this is echoes of David. So I love the screenwriting here. You know, picture the emotions, lot of arguing, fake repentance, and then Samuel turns to leave. Saul grabs, you know, his robe. It tears. And Samuel, in a very poetic way, saying in the same way, this is torn. You've torn Israel apart. And leadership's going to be taken away from you, from someone that is better than you. And Saul's life from this point just goes into a tailspin. And rather than repent, Saul continues to self-justify, blame shift, and he actually hardens himself towards God. And chapter 16 says in a very harrowing Way that the spirit of God departs him, the spirit of God departs him, and his heart hardens. And the reminder of one Samuel recounts Saul's further slide into moral and spiritual decay, and his descent provides a strong contrast with David's rise to influence. We're going to see this contrast of a man that seeks man's approval in Saul. We're going to see someone that doesn't pursue God's heart does something for selfish gain, and we're going to see this rise of David, a new king that has a heart after God. I think in essence, as we reflect, Saul's rude character flaw is self-exaltation and self-deception. He thinks he knows better than everyone else. He's quick to have false apologies and safe face, uh, he's quick, even when he's done something wrong, to lie and then also look for self-exaltation afterwards. In that same way, even when he's made a mistake, he apologises, but he's still wanting the ceremony and him to look good in front of the soldiers and his men. And I think the biggest tragedy is that he's not even aware of it. There's so much lack of self-awareness here. And the story shows he's completely blind to his arrogance and he still thinks he's right. Now, I won't spoil the coming weeks, but things get wild. Saul, when he realizes David will be next king, his jealousy and his anger goes to another level. He starts to go insane. He starts to chase him in the wilderness. Anyone who's chasing someone in the wilderness to try and pursue them has just gone a screw loose. So anyway, I don't want to no spoilers to come. Come the rest of the weeks. We're gonna continue to look at Saul and David. But I want to take a beat just as we come to the end of the sermon. Again, so easy for us to look at characters in the Bible and just judge, to look down on them. And I think this is naturally meant to just reflect a mirror to our own hearts. And I think this story is a spotlight into our own hearts and minds. Now Saul does something that is so common. He values the opinions of people greater than the opinion of God. And when he's done something wrong, he's very quick to have a false apology to make sure he saves face and wants to be honoured in front of others. Saul is perpetually downplaying his role in the bad decisions he makes and he keeps bringing in other people as if they are responsible. It's a great reminder that our repentance can't just be with our words, but it has to be with our heart and with our lives. And I want to pose us this question and we'll take a beat here. In what ways do we blame shift in order to avoid truly owning our failures? I think as I was reading this text, what ways, what ways do I blame shift in order to avoid truly owning our failures? And we see Saul giving these, these false apologies and still wanting to save face, still wanting ceremony, still wanting his reputation in what ways do we blame shift in order to truly avoid owning our failures and what's all needed and what we what we all really need is actually a new heart a new heart and a new mind that's not going to defend ourselves or constantly justify now that was going to be my conclusion transition to worship but it actually sat quite uneasy For me, I actually think one of the big things that I don't want to do, especially if this is your first time to church and this is your only time to church, I don't want you to walk out here, man, these Christians just read the Bible and the application's always do better, be better. Do you know what I mean? As I read this, how quickly my own heart runs towards religion and works. I read Saul, I see his failures, and my heart goes, man, I need to be better. I need to do more. I need to not be like Saul. And I just want to remind us that is religion and that is works and that is not the gospel. Do you know what this story truly actually reminds us of? Is that we ultimately need a king that meets our deepest needs. We need a king that will truly obey and we need a king that will help us obey. We need a king that will make a sacrifice. We need a king that will give us power and will transform us to obey to be better and that's the gospel i really i really 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 don't want you guys to walk out of here someone's taken a toilet break in the last five minutes i'm going to come find you afterwards because the application is not don't be like saul be a better leader like saul make sure you work harder apologize genuinely that is religion and works now of course we're supposed to look at the old testament and these tragic characters and let it reflect our heart. But ultimately, Saul is pointing towards a need that our hearts are aching for. He's pointing forward for a need of a true king, a deeper king. And David's going to come, and we think that's going to be the answer. And the people of the time also thought that was an answer. And we're going to see he's going to fail as well. And so Saul points us forward to a king that we need. We need a king that is going to obey for us. Because we can't obey. We need a king that's going to sacrifice for us because we can't make the ultimate sacrifice, and we need a king that's going to empower us. That's what Jesus does. He actually gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can obey, so that we can sacrifice. I was going to invite uh, the band up as we transition into worship. I don't know about you guys, I was feeling a bit cynical at the start of this series. Maybe I've got this New Testament bias that a lot of the younger Christians have, you know, red-letter Christians. I was thinking, like, man, New Testament sermon series, always easier to worship. And, man, these Old Testament series are actually going to be harder to worship, you know, because they're more narrative-driven. And I've just found the total opposite. I don't know about you guys, but I found it really quite easy to worship after 1 Samuel and looking at the rise and falls of kings because it makes my heart realize that I need an ultimate king that we actually need a real king. And as we look at these these fallen kings, these fallen heroes, these tragic figures, um, it's meant to point us forward to the real king, Jesus. And I just want to encourage you guys, as we look at a contrast of Saul, can I just talk about Jesus? Can I do that for a moment? Can I just lift up Jesus in front of you? And I just want to tell you how he is the answer to King Saul and the real king that we needed. Where kings like Saul are proud, our King Jesus is humble. Where other kings, they conquer people and they make them slaves, our King Jesus, he conquers Satan and he sets people free. Other kings try and change the future. Our King Jesus, he controls the future. Other kings rise up to look down on us, but King Jesus came down to lift us up. Other kings rule from fear in King Jesus, he rules from love. Other kings are selfish and cruel. And our King Jesus is selfless and compassionate. Other kings do not repent or forgive. But King Jesus forgives those who repent. Other kings, other kings make their kingdoms with human hands. Our King Jesus has a kingdom not built by human hands. Other kings are worshipped by people who are forced to worship them. Our King Jesus is worshipped by people who freely worship him. Other kings die and they stand before our King Jesus. He's the king above all kings. And other kings that may die, they're not ruling today and they won't be ruling tomorrow, but our King Jesus is ruling today and coming tomorrow. We just want to lift up Jesus this morning. And the tragedy of Saul's life is much, but I just want us not only to glean about doing better and not being like him, but to look forward to the king that will come, that was promised, the king that will make a way, the king that will empower us to live obedient lives. Here at Anchor, we respond to the word in a couple ways. We're going to sing. We're going to sing and we're going to praise King Jesus. Another way that we respond to the word is prayer. You're going to see people with purple lanyards to the side, uh, myself included. If you, if you want a word, if you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling confused, if you're feeling hopeless, the prayer team would love nothing more than to pray for you. And we're gonna, we're just gonna sit and listen. We're gonna exalt Jesus, and we're gonna receive a word from Him. So I invite you to stand, and I'm gonna pray as we transition into worship. <clears throat> Uh, Jesus, as we we look and glean from your word, uh, we do see character flaws. We do see errors. We do see things that we want to change in. But ultimately, Lord, we want to see that you needed to come. We needed a new king. Um, So, Jesus, right now, we just want to exalt you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for filling that need in our life. And we pray, Holy Spirit, now that you would empower us. Um. You would empower us to obey. You would empower us to be people that would be truly humble. And Jesus, right now, we just want to lift you up. We want to sing praises to you. as to help us to that task now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.